I believe the Lord is giving us something this morning. And I get this picture of a bunch of little kids and, you know, daddy comes home and mom announced that daddy's home and they get all excited. They run to the front door, but immediately they're distracted by the joy of the moment and it quickly digresses to their own thing, their own party, and it ceases to be about the Lord. And there's something about the beauty of God. When he begins to release his beauty, it is so invigorating. It's so easy to get caught up in the flurry of what it produces in us. But Lord, we want to enjoy that. We want to say, we long for you. We're looking for you. God, we need more of you today. Our nation needs more of you. Our city needs you. We need you. We need you. Come on, can you lift up your heart? God, we want to say, I need you. 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 You have not left us to our own devices. But you have sent your spirit to rest on our shoulders, to fill us with godliness, to manifest your glory. Oh, we say we need you so much, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I feel there are moments of transformation available to you right now. You've come up against a seemingly impenetrable block in your spiritual life. You've come up against what seems to be the end of the line. Nothing you've done, nothing you've tried seems to get past. You can't get past this particular obstacle in your life. But the Lord is saying, today is the day of resurrection. Today is the day of metamorphosis, where I turn you into another person. Today is the day when faith conceives. Lord, we lay a hold of this moment. We lay a hold of the transforming resurrection power. <laughs> rise up, rise up, rise up. Out of the embers, out of the death, out of the grave, out of the dust, new life. <laughs> New life. New life. New life. New life. New life. We prophesy new life. Come on, Canada. New life. 
rise, rise. Come on, we're not just contending for ourselves. We're contending for the prophetic destiny of a nation, of a people, of a body that God said would be without spot and wrinkle. We contend. We contend for the destiny of a nation, for the promise of a people. Let the cry of faith, let the sound of victory come out of your mouth. We believe, we believe that which you have begun, you will accomplish. Come on, release this victory shout this morning. I believe in the resurrection. I believe in the resurrection. Resurrection. Yeah. Yeah, Amen. Father, we believe in the resurrection. Father, Father, we long for you. We long for your word that changes us. Oh, God. Yes, come on. Come on. We are contending. We are contending. We are contending for a moment in time. We are contending for a transformative moment. We are contending for resurrection. We are contending that from this time forward, our lives will never be the same. We are, we are facing a moment of possibilities today, 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 today. You know, keep going, keep going. One of the things we're going to realize is when we stand before the Lord, we're going to see many unrealized moments of transformation. We're going to realize that when we thought we were waiting for God to do something, God was wanting us to step into a moment that there were things that were available and that all the moments that we ever stepped into, every breakthrough, every, every transformation, Every release, every deliverance was predicated upon a step of faith that you didn't even know you were taking. And that means that every other moment in your life is a potential moment like that. But instead of having one every day, we have one every few months, every few years, till we get to the point where we don't even think it's possible to change anymore. God... God, God, yeah, yeah. try and stay active because I believe 
there is something that God is trying to get us to understand. I, I have a, about four different sermons that are converging together in my head, and I'm not even sure what to share. But I was just reminded that when we were in North Battleford uh, almost two years ago, I, I can't even remember the dates, we were there for 10 days, and there was a, there was a sense that we needed to go and do these meetings in rural Saskatchewan in the middle of winter, November, for 10 days. And 1,500 people showed up for 10 days to seek God for 10 days. And we, we heard testimonies of people who were alive at that time, who, were, who experienced the power, the resurrection, who were transformed. It was the beginning of an outpouring that went around the globe. It was the beginning of a release of heaven on earth that changed thousands and tens of thousands of people on the face of the earth. And you, if you're a part of this church, you've heard me share this before. But it's, it just struck me as so significant relative to the moment we are in right now. Because this is what this elderly man said. He was a young man. He was like 17 years old when these meetings were there. And he summarized the entire meetings with this statement. He said, we realized... We realize, this is the revelation, we realize we suddenly came into an understanding that it was not them and then, but us and now. In, a, in other words, the tyranny of the kingdom of darkness always tries to assign the responsibility to somebody else, always tries to assign the, the, the possibility of breakthrough to another time, to another time, to somebody else at another time. And this is the tyranny of darkness to eliminate possibilities for you. So that when you come into a meeting like this, that you don't have the expectation of faith. He said, this is what we realize, that we were waiting for something. We were waiting for someone and something. And we, when it happened, it was because we realized it was for us and the moment was now. That it was always, well, if it's God's will. No, what we realize is it always is God's will. That right at the fingertips of faith is the provision for whatever you need. That we didn't have to wait for a magical moment when Hillsong came to town and that international prophet, what's his name? We didn't have to wait for a team from Redding, California, that the God of eternity was here and now always poised to do what he said he would do. God in heaven, come on. He is poised to do what he said he could do. I pray for breakthrough on every mind right now. Every mind every heart, every shackle. In Jesus' name, every shackle, everything that defers, everything that deflects, everything that stops you from entering into this moment, I say, let it break.
Let it break. Let it break. Let it break. Let it break. Let the tyranny of hopelessness. Oh. Let the tyranny of hopelessness be broken off of the people of God. It's time to dream. It's time to dream. It's time to imagine. It's time to sit, to think about the possibilities. What if? Uh, what if? What if? What if? What if? What if? Uh, oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. In Jesus' name. In Jesus, I break the shame that would that would cause us to not accept responsibility for breakthrough. I break the shame right now that says if you own that responsibility, that means you failed up till now. I break the shame and the disappointment of that. I say in Jesus' name, don't let the enemy lock you into something. You see, this is what This is what the religious system does. It says we're doing our very best. And when Jesus comes along and confronts that religious system, and he says, listen, you're hidden far below the mark. And the immediate response is, who do you think you are? Don't you know how long I've been a Christian? Don't you know who we are? We are Pharisees. We are not born of fornication. We are of the school of Gamaliel. We we have sat in the council. We know whom we serve. Who are you to suggest to us that we've fallen below the mark? Father, in Jesus' name, we break now. I break now. I break now the tyranny of that demonic spirit. Uh, just turn down the monitor, the piano and the monitors a bit, please. I break in Jesus' name the tyranny, the tyranny, the tyranny, the tyranny of that religious spirit. Uh, you, you see, what happens is the establishment will always do the same thing. It resents anybody doing anything better. It resents any the suggestion that there are any possibilities that are greater than the possibilities that are available right now. That's what it is. It resents that. Because if that's possible and I haven't touched it, you're telling me that I'm not good. I'm not telling you anything except the truth, Jesus says. I'm telling you that there are possibilities there are possibilities. There are possibilities. There are possibilities. Oh God, I'm saying, I'm speaking for Mark right now. I'm speaking for me. I'm speaking for our church. I'm saying, God, we don't want to wait another year. We don't want to wait another, another decade. We don't want to wait for another generation before we begin to believe the promises. Hmm. And you don't get caught up in, well, what does that mean? What do I have to do different? Don't think about that. Instead, absorb the word. Absorb it. God, we absorb your word today. Come on, let's just pray in tongues. Let's pray in tongues. Father, Father in heaven. It's not by accident that this wind blew through here this morning. There is an intentionality on the part of God to give us hope. Oh, we invite you. We invite you. We invite you, Holy God. 
we invite you thank you Lord keep going keep praying in the spirit what I saw way earlier in worship was Hannah crying out in the temple and she was crying out in such a way that the priest came along and said what's this woman doing in here drunk what does that look like are you prepared to go to church like that we're crying out for God to do something we're not waiting for somebody else to do it we're not waiting for somebody else to break through what does it look like to cry out like Hannah this is how the Lord responds he wants somebody with a full heart to cry out is it you is it me just keep pressing in last week I became aware of something so significant because I, I, I knew this was true. I knew that if the onus was on us. I knew that we could move into things if we wanted to, if we allowed ourselves to. If we did not obey the dictates of pride, if we did not obey the dictates of self-preservation, we could enter into something. And last week, I encouraged you, right at the end of the worship, I encouraged you to lean in. And I, I had seen... You see, the knowledge of God is something that is invisible to the carnal mind. It's, it's something that's untouchable to the carnal mind, the knowledge of God. It, but last week, I remember when I was calling on you to pray in the Spirit and to lean in, suddenly a certain realm of knowledge began to be clear, and I began to talk about it. But the more I talked about it, the more it faded. The more I talked about it, the more it faded because what happens, as soon as somebody gets up and preach, we, we, we start going into our intellect. We start to go into our intellectual process of how to assimilate. How, what do I do with this information? How is this going to change? And that's not how you absorb truth. The truth of God is a seed that goes into the ground of your soul. The truth goes into your soul. You don't do anything with it except receive it. You don't break the seed open and start looking at its parts and, and wonder about, well, what do I do with this? The seed has life in and of itself. And when it goes into your life, it's meant to be absorbed. But when our intellects rule everything, we've got to dissect everything to figure it out and then try to apply it to our lives. That's not how truth is realized. Truth is a seed. Truth is a seed. that It's, it's absorbed into you and then begins to produce something on its own. When it begins to produce a plant when it, and you see the leaves and you see the first shoots, then you can look at it. Then you can wonder, what is this? What's it? Gonna... But it's a thing on its own. Life is its own justification. It's his own wisdom. It's its own reason for being. But we don't do that. We don't understand that. Well, I just know, just tell me what to do. Just tell me what to do. How shall I be? What should I do when I'm in church? Father, I pray, God, in Jesus' name. Now, this is the scripture that's been on my heart today. It's, it's about Saul, and Saul is called by God, even though he wasn't God's choice. He became God's choice because of the cry of Israel. 
And I won't go into that part of it, but he felt that he was incapable. He felt like he didn't measure up. He felt like he could not be what God was calling him to be. And maybe that's us. Maybe that's how we feel. Maybe we were thinking, you know, uh, I'm not sure I want to be in this church because they're always talking about a bar that's too high for me. They're always talking about a level of, of, you know, purity, a level of revelation, a level of gifting that I always feel less when I'm here. (laughs) You know what? You should feel less when you're being compared to the Word of God. You should feel less when you're being compared to the destiny that comes out of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. When He's the stature, the standard, the measurement, and and you're looking at you, you should feel less. Well, let's just lower the bar so I feel better about myself. No, you already feel good enough about yourself. That's the problem. So there's this call on Saul to be this thing, but I'm not sure it's in me. I don't have that kind of courage. I got a kind of low self-esteem, Lord. He said, listen, that's okay, because I don't need you to be anything. I'm going to turn you into another man. I'm going to turn you into another man. Come on. Do you believe that that's possible for you? Do you believe that that's possible? I I have been a Christian all my life. I've grown up and I've looked at my mom and dad and I've looked at their life and they didn't do very well. And I'm, I'm, I'm seeing the same things in myself, the same deficiencies. And I'm thinking if they've been a Christian all these years and they couldn't do better, who am I to think I can do better? Faith exceeds expectations. As I'm looking at you right now, I say, you haven't begun to even realize what God has called you to be. Corbin, I declare over your life, in Jesus' name, let the expectation of faith fill you. I pray that everything the enemy, your whole life, a spirit of limitation has spoken over you, prophesying your demise, prophesying your destruction, prophesying limits and limits and limits and limits. And God is saying, I have not made you to be limited. I've not made you to be limited. I've not made you to be limited. And maybe there's been times where you thought, I've married into this family that is so spiritual. I don't know how I can measure up. I've married into this family that has been, they're so gifted, so anointed, and I don't know how I can measure up. But the Lord says to you that your destiny is equal and greater to that which you've married into, if you only believe. Now, that's not just for him. That's for everybody in the room. We don't understand the possibilities when the Spirit of God falls on a man or a woman. God, open up, open up. I reject the limitations today. I reject the limitations I reject the limitations of bitterness and resentment and jealousy and strife and lust and pornography and sin of every kind. I reject the limitations of discouragement, of faithlessness, of hopelessness. I will not be confined. 
I reject the evidence of my tenure. I reject the evidence of my history. I reject the evidence of my past failures. You see, the Bible says whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. And all, you're, the only thing your history has proven to you is what you can do without resurrection power. Because everything that's born of God overcomes the world. Well, I tried and it didn't overcome the world. Then it wasn't born of God. It wasn't born of faith. It was your best effort. We don't need your best efforts. See, God is telling this, this man who feels so deficient, so insignificant, then the Spirit of the Lord will come on you and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. He doesn't explain the dynamics of it. He doesn't explain what happens, but he's saying, you don't realize it, but you were made. You know that saying, there's a God-shaped space inside of us? Well, to be traditional, there is. And what makes you a better Christian is that 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 God-shaped place will be filled with something. And something begins to come out of that and break out of that. And all all of the, you know, when I think about genius people, intelligent people, gifted people, I rejoice. But what if the resurrection power of God can lay hold of that genius? What if the resurrection power of God can lay hold of that desire? The sky's the limit. Father, in Jesus' name. Mm. God is trying to pull us into hope. God is trying to pull us into something beyond what we've imagined for our lives. Yeah. Yeah. It's the Spirit that gives life. It's the Spirit that gives life. You see, as soon as I saw those words, I hear somebody say, Well, I already I have the Spirit. I've got a computer, but I haven't used one-tenth of its power. I haven't used one one one-hundredth of its power. I have programs, many programs, most of which I barely have a cursory knowledge of. Can you use Photoshop? Yes, I can use Photoshop. Have you exploited the entire bandwidth of what's available? Not even a start. We have the Spirit of God. And yet, we live like mere men. And when the Corinthians did that, Paul rebuked them. And he said, listen, you're acting like mere men. And we say, but we are mere men. He said, no, you're not. You're not mere men. Every great man or woman of God, every great revivalist, every great reformer, was a normal person until the Spirit of God grabbed a hold of their life. I heard a testimony about this, a pastor. I can't remember whether it was Argentina or Guatemala, but he, he said the Spirit of God told him one day, said, I want you to go and preach in this park. And he said, Lord, I, I don't want to preach in that park. There are gangs in that area. There's, I mean, there's wicked men. and I don't, I'm not a very good preacher to start with. I kind of bore my own people. And, he, and the Lord says, I'm going to turn you into another man. 
And he went to that park and he preached. And on that occasion, God turned him into another man and he became a significant apostle in his nation. Who was he before that? Just a normal person like you and like me. What's it going to take? What's it going to take? What's it going to take? When I was a young Christian, people were teaching all the time out of that scripture that says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of, not, of things not seen. And uh, I remember thinking, uh, you know, it sounds almost like they're, they're stretching the truth here because one guy did a whole sermon on the word now. Uh, he, did, he said, now faith is. He said, now faith is. And I'm, th- I'm looking at that and I'm looking at other versions and I'm thinking, I'm not sure the intended, uh, the intention of the writer was to describe this in the way you are. But here's what I realize, it doesn't matter because there are things that are true even if it, was, if it wasn't the writer's intention. But I actually presently believe it was the writer's intention to say now faith is, that faith is a present thing. It is always present tense. Faith causes this moment to become a moment of possibilities. Faith always does that. Faith always takes what you leave to the future and disappointments you pulled from the past and corrects them in the present. That's why I said now faith is. This is what that old man realized at 17 is that when God came and visited them, he had spent all of his church days looking forward to something. He didn't know when it was going to come. And when it came, he realized it didn't come by accident. It came because that people believed. Well, are you saying there's never a convergence of preparation? There absolutely is. But the preparation is you. I mean, you're the one being prepared. And if you're not ready, then it doesn't come. If, well, how, what, what do I do then? How can I, how, are you expecting me, Pastor Mark, to hasten the day? Isn't there a scripture? Isn't there a song we sing? That there's, there's a kind of obedience, there's a kind of life, there's a kind of expression that hastens the day, that causes things that maybe have been appointed for another time to come now. What if the pace of my transformation was entirely up to me? Why is this important? We are praying for harvesters right now. There's a call for harvesters. The Spirit of God is blowing a trumpet and God is looking to and fro over the face of the earth and he's looking for harvesters, looking for people who can lift up his name and bring people into the kingdom. He's looking for people on whom the kingdom of God can come in power and glory right now. And I I say to you that he doesn't have enough. And you might be thinking, yeah, but I'm not sure I'm called to be a minister. I'm not sure I'm called to be a preacher. You don't have to be a preacher to be an oracle. You don't have to be a pastor to be a sound of life. You don't have to be anything. But when you step into the provision of God, you'll be surprised to see what suddenly folds out of you. There's a divine clothing and equipping that comes from heaven. And this is what Saul understood. He he became another man. 
And you say, well, yeah, but he went back. And sure enough, he did. Because he wasn't willing to maintain what God had done. That's a whole other sermon. And I can tell you all the reasons for that. That's, a, that's another message entirely. Well, I don't want to hope for too much in case I can't maintain it. That's a sorry excuse. You know, in Jesus' day, he warned them. He said, pray the Lord, send harvesters. But he was warning the Pharisees. He said, listen, you, you, you go out as harvesters yourselves. You guys are all interested in harvesters. You're pro- proselytizing all over the place. But what you do, your version of this is, is you, when you get somebody saved, you make them twice the child of hell that you are. How did they do that? What, how did they make somebody twice the child of hell? You know, they're a sinner. They're uncircumcised Gentiles living in sin and debauchery. And all of a sudden, they come into the light and they become Judea, Judaistic believers. They start attending temple services and doing all the routines and the ceremonies. Surely they're better than they were before. He said, no. Jesus said, no. They have not been improved. They're twice the child of hell that they were before. Why? Self-made men are always that. And the church is filled with self-made men. I, I See, this is what I see we're coming to. We are coming to a moment where our confidence and our hope and our belief turns so much to the Lord. So much to him. And if you are discouraged today, and if you have felt hopeless, and if you have felt like you haven't been able to do it, you are in a prime position for resurrection. But if you think you're a pretty good Christian, if you, well, you know, I made myself read a couple of verses yesterday in a chapter, and I, I, I had that bad thought, and I didn't think it for very long. And my, if your confidence is how you have suppressed the evil desires you could have given place to, then your confidence is misplaced. So God is saying, listen, I want to change you. I want to change you. Father, let me paint this picture. Many of us hold up an ideal of what it is we're supposed to be. The voices in our life have all told us, if you're going to be a Christian, this is what a Christian looks like. And they've delineated all the behaviors. And they said, Christians do this and this and this. And so we're investing our lives in trying to fulfill this criteria. Whether it's 10 points or 100 points or 1,000 points of obedience, we're trying to do what is right. Ah, and it grieves me so deeply. Why? Because that's not faith. That's not Christianity. What? It's not? No, it isn't. Christianity is transformation. Second yes. Corinthians 3.18 says this. Let me, I'm going to turn to it to make sure I, I say it perfectly. Because this is what it's really about. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of God are being transformed 
into the same image from glory to glory. You see, this experience that Saul had, it was Old Testament. He didn't have a covenant like we have. He didn't know anything about the glory of God. It was all about sheer obedience. You do this, and you get this. You do that, and you get that. This is what the law was. Choose this day which mountain, cursings or blessings. This was the fundamental understanding of the Old Testament. And it had a reason why it was set up that way. But in the middle of this other system, God shows how that a man, irrespective of his capacity for obedience, is transformed from one thing into another thing in a moment by the anointing of God. And that stands out as a singular, unique miracle in the Old Testament of transformation. And it's a moment that points to another covenant that's based not on your effort, but it's based on faith. We are being transformed as we look at the glory of the Lord. So... You think, oh, well, I want to do that. I want to look at the glory of the Lord. You know what I discovered? I discovered that when I somehow manifest or exhibit a version of righteousness that others celebrate, I tend to get distracted. I remember when I played sports and I realized that so much of my desire for sports was idolatrous. I would go out and play a game of hockey and if I made one good play during that game of hockey, I would spend days thinking about that, reveling in the overflow, the shine of that moment. And remembering, of course, if it was a pivotal moment where my team celebrated me, I would bask in the overwhelming sense of significance that accomplishment gave me. And those things in our life are blinding. And they stand in competition to our ability to behold his glory. Whether we know it or not, whether we have actual idols, actual images that we bow down to, the most significant struggle we have is idolatry in our life. And idolatry is an inability to turn fully to him. And God is saying, but if you would, if you could only turn to me with all of your heart, if you seek me with all of your heart, If you could somehow harness the bandwidth of all of your affections, all of your attention, all of your strength, and focus it on me, you will find a version of me you've never had, you've never seen. But here's here's the thing. It's not a discipline. It's not a discipline. You can't discipline your heart into these things. Your heart has to be convinced of something. It has to be convinced 
that there is only one hope. One hope that I must see him. I must see him. I must see him. I must see him. And the whole trajectory of our lives is God is trying to show us that whatever version of Christianity that we're presently surrounded by, even if it's as good as everybody else, even if it's better than our fathers, even if it's better than the church down the road, he's trying to say, no, there's a version of Christianity that's so high above anything you can do, it's impossible. Well, how do I do it then? Turn your heart fully toward me. Now, I'm not doing a great job of explaining this, but before us today is death and resurrection. Death and resurrection. And these, these, two, these two realities bring us into his presence because God wants us to be resurrected in newness of life. But he can't resurrect what isn't dead. He hasn't, he can't resurrect. If you, if there's a part of you, if he's saying to you, listen, I want to make you a a better version of yourself. I want to, I want to resurrect you. I want to change you. I want to make you loving, actually loving. And if your first response is, well, I love, I love. When your husband or wife comes to you and say, you need to be more this. What's your first response? Well, you should speak. Because there's something in us that rejects, that rejects, that is hostile to death. But God is trying to convince you whatever you're doing right now is not enough. But if you just turn, if you just shift, Father, we ask, I believe that we are coming to a time (laughs) where a generation of believers clothed in the glory of God come out of the crags and caves, come out of hidden secret places, not men known, not famous people. And there might be famous people and there will always be known people in our midst. But I'm talking about the average believer suddenly becoming a spiritual giant. When they prophesied years ago about a nameless, faceless generation... It was, it was just that there are going to be so many that come out looking like Jesus. So many walking in supernatural power. There's just, the landscape of the church is filled, filled, filled with men and women who walk in power. And he's saying, I want it to be you. I want it to be you. I want it to be you. You see, when I first heard the message of what God was requiring of me, and again, I know you've heard this before, I, I thought, I can't, I can't do this. I tried for a little bit to be a Christian. I thought, I, I just can't do this. I'm too unpure. I'm too filled with drives that consume me. I cannot do this. And so I went into the world And I had a moment when I was sitting in a bar in Coal Lake, Alberta, where the glory of the Lord came upon me. And when the glory of the Lord came upon me, I saw the power of transformation in a second, in a moment. And the the next day, 
The next day, I, I said to my mom, I'm, I'm going to Bible school. And she was incredulous. She thought, you have to change. And I thought, change is not the issue. Power is the issue. Power is the issue. And I knew, and I couldn't understand it. I didn't have the verses, but I knew that I saw something. And when I saw something, it became a part of me. And when it came into my being, I knew this can be done. Once you've tasted of the power of transformation, it sets your life on a journey where nothing nothing surrounding effort will ever be good enough for you. And many of us in this room and many listening online have never tasted transformation. Everything has been the manifestation of your greatest desires. It has always been, if I just subdue what I really want and do what God wants, and he'll reward me at the end. But what's growing instead is resentment. As children of promise on your right and left are inheriting things that you think you deserve. God is drawing a line in the church and he's saying, I have resurrection power for every single believer. What if a grace could fall on your life such that your words would suddenly become magical and beautiful, an aroma that caused everyone around to begin to desire more of Jesus How do you do that? How do you talk softly enough? See, this is what we do. Somebody says, you need to be nicer. So we we learn to speak like this. I'm going to be nice from now on. So everybody can behold my niceness. And maybe somehow that will make a positive impression. And I'll I'll conceal all my wrath and the fact that I really hate them but I'll be nice to them and I'll smile and that way God will see my sacrifice and he'll be pleased. No, he isn't. All you've displayed is confidence and behavior modification. He's saying, I want a people who come to the end of themselves who realize that this thing is impossible. It's impossible. It's impossible. It's impossible. I don't want a better version of human righteousness. The real gospel is about to be manifested in a generation where suddenly people are going to realize it's transformation. It's the grace of God. It's not me intending to be good, not me hoping to be good, not me believing that if I just cross my T's and dot my I's, that somehow God will bless this thing that I've done. And if this doesn't make any sense, ask God for a revelation. But I'm serious, we are about, and I I feel, I feel, I feel so much for the canes in our midst. And I'm, I'm thinking metaphorically, I'm not saying you're in the natural, you really are cane, but I had a roommate who'd grown up in the church in Bible school, and he was so mad at me, and he was, he didn't tell me until finally at the end of our year together. But he was so mad at me because every day I was having visitations and he kept thinking, God, this is so not fair. I've been a Christian all my life. 
I, I, have, I have never sinned. I have never stolen. I have never sworn. I have never committed fornication. I have never done anything. I've gone to church and I've tithed my whole life. What he didn't know is that that was his badge of honor. That's what he held up to God every time he came asking for something. This is what I did for you. You owe me. And how dare this sinner come in here and he's getting all these things. How is it he understands the kingdom? Why, why is he prophesying? Why is he casting out demons? What is, what's wrong with me? And this is the lament of the child of the flesh, of the Ishmael, of the Cain, who doesn't realize that they haven't, they haven't, they're not even on the path. Resurrection. 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 How do I, how do I not do that, Lord? How do I not come to you with secretly holding my bag of dues? There's a play on words there. I'm now due because I dude. D-O, D-U-E. I'm due for an upgrade, God, because I've been a Christian this long. What are the things you hold? You think now God owes you. Oh, I would never hold that over God. You do. You just don't know you do. A shift is coming. <laughs> and when it comes, you realize you could have had it yesterday. You could have had it a week ago. You could have had it a month ago. You could have had it years ago. When we stand before the Lord, that's what we're going to realize, that the moments of breakthrough and transformation were always there, right in front of us. I could feel it. I could feel hearts turning. I can, I can feel hearts turning away from idolatry where you, and some of you, I, I, I see a person and it's like you've been heaping up these good deeds, heaping up. It's only a matter of time before I'm going to get rewarded for these things. It's only a matter of time before God sees my service and my sacrifice. It's only a matter of time, but underneath it, you're getting increasingly resentful. You're getting increasingly angry that people who are doing less than you are getting more. And you think, this is not fair. This is not an equitable system. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And God is saying, come on, my daughters. Come on, my sons. Leave, leave the, the world of your own works of your own confidence and turn to me with all your heart. Every time you said this is not fair, you were appealing to a legal system that is illegitimate. Every time you looked at another believer and you thought I deserve what they have more than them, you were appealing to an, uh, an illegitimate legal system. And God is saying that's not my kingdom. Come into my kingdom, daughter and son. Come on, yes. Resurrection, 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 resurrection. This is starting to feel like an old time revival meeting where the preaching was not to inform. The preaching was not to give you takeaways, little points of three steps to this victory and three steps. We are holding your feet to the fire of God's glory. That's what preaching does. It holds your feet 
to an impossible standard and burns away all the confidence of the natural man. This is what preaching is meant to do. It's to cause your heart to turn to you to fully to him. It's to illuminate the ways you trust yourself, the ways you take credit, the way you seek your own glory. Oh God, this is what it means when he says you are my workmanship. I'm working on you. (laughs) I'm carving up you. Now I know there are words burning in different ones because this is what God does. He makes things come alive. But it's not for you to share right now. It's for you to, to gaze at and let it burn inside of you. Let it burn inside of you. God wants to break the residual power of religious thinking off of your life today. God wants to break the power of a reward system that's based on you looking good through your own effort. And you didn't even know it was there. We don't even know it's there, but it's there. And it steals from us the favor that God would bring because of faith. It steals from us. Oh, God. And yet, on the other hand, there's some, and it's polar opposite to you, and you're here in the room, and you think, I dare not assume any worth whatsoever because I'm such a sinner. I dare not assume I can approach him because I'm so unclean. And to you, the Lord says, you are under the same system. There are those that succeed and there are those that fail based on the law. The religious ones thought they were succeeding and God resisted them. And the ones who were rife with sin, they thought they were forever rejected. They dared not come near, so they didn't come near God for transformation either. And God is saying, there is restoration. There are people in this room, you've had so many vile thoughts, you've had so many impulses that you're afraid that anybody would know because they would hate you. So many, so much self-loathing, so much uncleanliness, so much darkness. You are afraid for anybody to know. And God is saying, there's resurrection. Now, we haven't been doing this for a while, and if you're not comfortable with somebody laying hands on you, then don't come forward. But if you are wanting to lean into God, we have our elders team, we have ministry people that can pray for you. Just come and stand in the front as we sing this through again. Let's just lean into God. And if you feel you need a little extra touch that the body can provide, then come forward, let somebody pray for you and agree with you. And if you need to go, feel dismissed right now. Bless you. Thanks for being with us. Let's sing this again, guys. And again, the front is open.